an estimated 17.1 million children in the U.S. have or have had a psychiatric disorder, more than the number of children with cancer, diabetes, and AIDS combined. Imagine that. Welcome to our podcast, Imagine That. Today, we're going to talk about mental health, and we're going to really break it up into three chunks, and we have some experts here, so that'll be wonderful. We have, we're going to have a real conversation. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. We're going to have a real conversation about mental health, and more specifically to children and how it's affecting children. And then two, you know, what parents, and it's not just parents. If you, if you care about children, what you should know about, what you should think about. And then the third and final thing we're going to talk about is a way forward because we really want to show that there is help on the way. And my guests have really done wonderful work with the help of philanthropy to make sure that there's a different model for treating, for treating children with mental health issues. So they're the three things we're t- going to talk about. The good news is at the end, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So everybody hang in because uh, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel and we're going to need everybody's help to, uh, to really address this pandemic. And God willing, We'll all come together just like we came together to address COVID because this is just as big in some ways, if some ways bigger than the pandemic that we are about to hopefully solve and put behind us. So my two guests today, one is a friend of mine, uh, a fellow uh, trustee at uh, Children's, and that is Vanessa Morehouse. Vanessa Morehouse is the vice chair of Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh Foundation. So, And, and Vanessa has done a great job of starting a a new model called Whole Child, and we're going to talk about that with Vanessa. And she brought her medical director of Whole Child with her today, Justin Schreiber, and Dr. Justin Schreiber. And what makes uh, Dr. Schreiber a little unique, a lot of things make him unique, two things make him unique, is not only does he have an expertise in being a physician in pediatrics, but also side child psychiatry. So very diverse and really brings a a wealth of knowledge to this conversation. So um, Justin, let's start out with you. Let's just talk about, because I think some of our listeners, when we say children and mental health, um, could you just like talk to us a little bit about how prevalent this is and then is it increasing or changing and how? First of all, I want to say thank you so much for having us here to be able to talk about this, really to highlight the importance of mental health and, and especially for kids and adolescents. And, you know, I would say that when we look at the data, it says somewhere around one out of every six, one out of every five kids, depending on which one, which statistics you look at, will struggle with some diagnosable mental health disorder within their first time of life, within the first 17 years. Um, and more and more we're seeing that these numbers are actually identifiable younger and younger and younger. So now we're seeing more data even in that early elementary phase. So we know that this is a very prevalent disorder. And at the same time, these numbers are probably lower than the realities. So when we say this disorder, like like this is like gigantic, right? Yeah. So like, <laughs> can we just talk about what this is? Yeah, so like, yeah. right? So like when just the rainbow of what's included when we're saying mental health. That's a great point. And I, and I appreciate kind of splitting this up too, because really when we think about the, the range, I mean, this is depression for some kids. It's anxiety for other kids, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder um, with manic episodes, ADHD, and also along with that learning difficulties, autism spectrum disorders. So there's a wide range of mental health. And I think sometimes you're, you're right in that people kind of put it as a box of just one thing, but really each of these are different and require, just like when I do my pediatrics work and I have someone who comes in with 
uh, a respiratory virus versus an ear infection, we treat these differently. We do have to think about how do we break these down and treat each of these differently as well. And each of them is also extremely prevalent, prevalent as well. So thinking of ADHD, depression, anxiety, all, all in their own range around 10% to 20% of all kids who within that age range could be struggling with one of those. Wow. What are the signs that, pe- that parents, what, like what should, when you're thinking about mental health, what should people be looking for? And this is why I do my work with kids, because I think there's such an opportunity to really intervene early and see a great benefit. But I always talk about impairment. So, you know, parents know their kids really well. They start to notice when things start to seem a little bit different. Maybe grades start dropping. They start to notice that they're not wanting to go to hang out with their friends as much. They might start to notice things like even when they go to do it, they're not enjoying it. And for me, when you start to see there's something different, it's really worth the conversation. It's worth being open and saying, what are you feeling right now? I'm noticing something different. It's okay to open and talk about that. And also, this is a point to say, can we start maybe getting some help from the people I trust really well, like my pediatrician, my primary care doctor, to see, is it worthwhile to start getting involved in more care? Um, But really that change that we start to notice is often a first sign that says we need to start getting help. And then what are the benefits of early detection? Because I think there's this, this myth. I hope it's a myth. I pray that it's a myth. Like if you have an, another physical illness, there's treatment. But if you have a mental illness, sort of you just have to live with it. I think that's the belief. And unfortunately, that's, that, that leads to more despair. And, and it affects not only the, the patient, but also the family and just a lack of hope for better days ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, and and that comes back to the fact that there is a difference in how we think. Um, There's, when we think of physical health and mental health, that there's difficulty with this perception that it's being treated differently. And really, we know there's really good treatments, but there's stigmatization that exists with those treatments within mental health that doesn't always exist in physical health. If I have a kid that comes in for an ear infection, we're going to treat it with amoxicillin and make sure that we get that taken care of and everyone's on board with that. If I have a kid that comes in with depression, we have very good evidence of the benefit of therapy. Um, We have very good evidence of the medications that we utilize to see not just help in that moment, but long-term benefit. So a kid that who could be struggling with depression, a kid that could be struggling with anxiety or ADHD that can really see significant benefit in their academics and their social life and long-term future by that intervention early on. So I, I think when we can step back and say mental health is part of our, our whole health, just like it's part of our physical health, and we need to really treat it, we need to take it seriously, just like we take care, take care of ourselves and our physical body as well. Just in preparation for this, I talked to two moms this morning that I know have firsthand experience with this. And I said, if there was one thing we could get across on this, because I think like we all need to take this way more serious, that like America needs to come together. We need to address this. People are suffering. There's a stigma involved. There's not enough philanthropy. There's not enough support from the government to solve this issue. And it's because no one wants to talk about it. I shouldn't say no one. Not enough people want to talk about it. And we're not getting behind it as a, as a society and as government as we should. So it's frustrating. And then you kind of get into an appointment, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we can see you. Like, how about July 18th or two months from now or three months from now? And you go like, what? Well, and the other problem with that is that many kids who have behavioral health and mental health issues, they're not suffering from just one issue. I heard you say that a couple weeks ago. So you could have three, four, five. I'll use my daughter as an example. And I I think it's um, important to say that 
I got full clearance from her <laughs> to talk about her story. I would not be sharing it otherwise. But she has five different diagnoses that she manages. OCD, autism spectrum, anxiety, depression, and ADHD. When I began our journey into the behavioral health world, it was when she was five years old and expelled from kindergarten. I started to try to find help for her and realize that to address all of her individual issues, I would have to go to five separate clinics, five separate set of doctors, which meant her childhood would be spent going from doctor to doctor to doctor. And we're fortunate in Pittsburgh, right? Like Pittsburgh, like I don't think Pittsburgh understands how awesome the care we have and how wonderful the physicians we have truly are versus other cities. That's so true. you had five great physicians to go to, but the point is you're in doctor's appointments all day long to retelling your story. Exactly. And what five-year-old or six-year-old or teenager who's going through an embarrassing stigmatized situation wants to continue to retell their story. It is unfortunately the way the system is set up and it's set up that way because that is how doctors are reimbursed for their, their care and their time. Um, and until that system changes, until the way we reimburse our physicians Let's talk for their about time. that. Let's go there. Because please, someone that's listening to this, please help. Like we need, we need a, we need a groundswell of support on this thing. The, the reimbursements are different. And I didn't learn that until Vanessa, I called you and said like, Hey, what can we do? Philanthropy, ba boom. And, uh, and you said, it's really about reimbursement. So, uh, let's, let's talk about the difference of reimbursement for physical versus mental health. And I know you'll, you'll notice I call it mental health. I know it's behavioral health. I refuse to call it that because, and I, and I'm sure it's politically correct. And I feel like behavioral health, health is suggesting it's bad behavior, which can be controlled. And I just feel like it's a mental health issue. So I know the whole world calls it behavioral health. But you that- actually won me over, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been trained to call it behavioral yeah. health. But in the last couple months of working with you, I have, I have now reverted to mental just, health because you're right. They don't have bad behavior. No. Like I had bad behavior. That was different. Like this is like a mental health issue. And like it's, a, it's an illness. It's a health issue, just like diabetes or heart disease or something else. It's not bad behavior. So anyhow, and that's and one, my rant. One thing I would agree with on that is that when we think of mental health, it also can be more generalized to, you know, recognizing that there's also things we do for our physical health every day that doesn't mean that I have diabetes, yet I still try to eat healthy, right? Or it's the same idea. Anyone, there's a spectrum of struggling with worries, struggling with stress. And so if we're all taking care of our mental health as a whole, then that can be very beneficial. So I think it helps to sell it really as a larger population. This is something we all have to do to take care of ourselves. Okay. So to help with that, let's talk about the reimbursements because it's, it's really fascinating when, when, we, when you learn how different it is. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the big ones that really um, kind of step out comparatively is that we know that there's really good evidence that says a combination of therapy and medication management for those who are really struggling with with different mental behavioral health issues, that that is really the way to go. And at the same time, if you try to provide both of those services at the same time, it's not reimbursable. So if you have a psychiatrist and a therapist meet with someone at the same time, oftentimes that's not reimbursed. And so that means two appointments. It also means I meet with someone as a family member to talk about or as a patient to talk about my experience to the therapist. Then I go and I meet with the psychiatrist and have to tell it all over again. Um, and then also you probably had to meet with your primary care 
care provider first to start that process as well. And so maybe you're checking back in with them again. So now we have another appointment based off of that. Um, and, and so those kinds of things to be able to do those all together, it's, it's really not something we can generally see reimbursed. And then on top of that is, you know, this is, I think one of the, the other really important points you brought up is the impact for families and that this is when it's our children, it's not just the, the impact to them, it's the impact of the whole family and how are we supporting a family member and making sure that they get the support they need to go through this process. And there's really not a reimbursable option to have someone who has a lived experience to work through a family member to get them where they need to go, to give them the support they need. And so those kinds of supports just don't really exist through the reimbursable system. And so that's led to these more siloed set, setups at the moment. I'm trying to remember the story that if you are in the hospital for a physical ailment, then you need therapy afterwards. It's treat the therapy for physical when afterwards is reimbursed at a different rate. Is there a different rate? When were these rates created? Like I, people say there's just not any money in, in mental health. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't get that. So like, it's just, it, is it, is it more than if the two folks are in the room with the treatment, it's, is it, are the reimbursements the same? Yeah, there's, so there's been parity laws that have been created to try to say we can get this the same. And as we continue to look at how, how true that lives up, oftentimes we find that the reimbursement is different. And, and so that makes it harder for, um, you know, place for organizations to be able to continue to fund to have all the mental health support they need because they oftentimes find they're not getting the same kind of reimbursement they do for physical health. I did, here's what I did this morning. Cause I, I don't know, I'm in the investment business. So I feel like you follow the dollar, dollar you can figure some stuff out. So I, I Googled this. I'm like, okay, so, and by the way, I think all physicians should make more. So, so I'm not saying an orthopedic person should make less. Anybody that needs an orthopedic surgeon, God bless. They deserve to make a lot of money. Pediatric, every, like if you, I think that whatever, they're, they're literally saving people's lives and, and changing the way we live. But an orthopedic physician makes twice as much as a psychiatrist. Now, I just, I'm, I just I'm, by the way, I'm not judging that. And I'm not saying the orthopedic surgeon to all of our friends who are orthopedic surgeons should make any less money. I want you to make more. We love that you make money. It's, it's really a good thing. But it doesn't make sense to me that they should make more on an arm or leg or whatever as it should your, your brain or, or, or almost twice as much. And again, we want everybody, we know it's important, a plastic surgeon, like a plastic surgeon. So I don't know if the reimbursements flow through to that, but like I want that young, talented, wonderful, brilliant kid right now at Harvard um, to, to, to want, not because, it, right, if they want to go into psych, be a psychiatrist, they shouldn't think, well, I'm going to love my work, I'm going to change people's lives, but I'm going to make like half as much as the plastic surgeon. Is it, is that, is it related? Like does a dollar flow the whole way through or did I just make a connection that shouldn't exist? So I, th I think a lot of that has to do with how reimbursements have occurred when it comes to procedure, you know, doing something procedural oftentimes brings back high reimbursement, doing something that's in the hospital that is uh, acutely taking care of something than a preventive measure that's outside of the hospital has always been reimbursed higher. And there has been talk about switching some of this, but really we don't see that oftentimes pan out. And so oftentimes if you're doing procedural work that's bringing in a lot of money, 
then you're getting paid more for that work too. And, um, and so it, until there's a, a switch in the way that that reimbursement occurs, you're totally right that the people who are, are oftentimes doing more of the preventive work, the office work to really help some of these kids, it's not going to be the same reimbursement. And, and that's also true. I mean, you know, of course, thinking about what the person makes, but also when a hospital makes a decision about who can we bring on, how many of these people can we bring on, what we, what are we going to get reimbursed so we can have more staff? You know, it, if there's, there's got to be the jobs there to bring people in too. So, um, and we want to make sure that that's available. So I think that's, that's a, a really essential part um, for both ends about getting the work staff in, but also the positions available. The mental health issues for children it's increasing and it's more prevalent today than it, than it used to be. And Vanessa, you were saying there were multiple reasons for that. Yes, I am. Uh, a bunch of issues come together that have led to this increase. Social media and the pressures that that puts on young kids before they're really ready to deal with the, um, the ramifications of social media. Um, I think increased awareness has people understanding that um, – there are kids out there that are, are really suffering. Um, and I believe that when we come out of COVID, and I agree with you that we are hopefully coming to the end of that, but as these kids start to re-enter their lives, there is going to be an increase in, in mental health issues that needs to be addressed. So when you think about that, and you think about all the money and the trillions of dollars, rightfully so, um, went to support people, medicine, research for COVID, I don't know. But I just didn't hear, and there's going to be $500 billion for mental health. On it, And Vanessa's shaking her head, no, right? It's so frustrating. How are we spending as a nation trillions of dollars on this pandemic? And we don't say like, hey, there could be this mental health issue that we should help also. Frustrating. Very frustrating. Now, here's the good side of the technology. Is telemedicine helping with capacity? Yeah, we, we definitely have seen and within behavioral, within physical, or sorry, within mental health that we do. Yeah, we can do behavior. <laughs> I know we're not going to change America today, no. but like, um, I just, there's some people that have mental health consistent. issues that I love and I just figure yeah. they're really well behaved. So I'm not going to sure. say they have a behavior issue. Um, okay. So I, when we think about that, as, okay. as we saw the change with COVID, you know, again, I talk about all of the, the terribleness that occurred with this and at the same time. It allowed us to immediately switch and say, let's have this available for tele. Um, let's have this available to be able to increase access through families that were having difficulty getting into the office for a multitude of reasons, be it transportation, um, you know, be it that you know, that was meaning we lost a whole half a day of time for your job in school, where now we can do that within you know, a, a briefer period of time and still get you right back into school. And, and also the, you know, just, you know, what was mentioned about multiple appointments and going from place to place, can we really bring that together in an easier way for people. So I do think there's um, there's a good opportunity with, with teleservices to ensure increased access. And we are seeing that. And I think it's been recognized throughout the country, the benefit. The other thing telemedicine has done is for those kids that, um, whether it's anxiety or just fear of the process, who aren't willing to walk into the doctor's office, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier for them to do it from the comfort of their own home where they, they feel safe. It makes it easier for parents who are trying to convince that teenager who you can no longer physically carry to the car and into the doctor's office to actually get them the help that they need at home. I, I just would say one example is, you know, we've worked with a family where it's been really, but that's been a huge difference. You know, just, we often said to them, 
you know, I know that this person does not want to come in. I know that they're struggling with being able to talk to anyone. If we just take the phone and put it in the room for a little bit and just try That's to open awesome. up more and more and just we'll keep having a scheduled time and we do the best we can. And, and so there you helpful. go, right? If you have a sprained arm, you want to go. But, but, uh, but when you think about the challenge of a mental health issue, it, it is really hard to get the person that needs the care to want to come into the office because we've created this stigma and, you know, and sometimes even the, the, the family is like, oh, we don't want to take him in because now we're admitting that we have a mental health issue. Well, we all, like, there's a lot of mental health issues. You've already shared the statistic, but it is, it's something to think about, right? It's hard to get him in. And I'm sure it's hard to get him in in the suburbs. So we can all talk about what's going on in the world and how you should address the, the inequality, whatever. I, everybody can have different opinions on how you address it. I don't think anyone can debate. You can debate how you change results. You can talk about taxes. That's a different show. Um, but you cannot debate that there's an opportunity gap. And I think if we could just all agree that there's an opportunity gap, and let's focus on what we can agree on. And that opportunity gap, we did it in a different podcast, comes around education. So we introduced you to a group that is creating a school for, for children that that, that may need a different environment to learn. We talked about that. But even if you have means, it's hard to figure out where to go. But if you do not have means, resources, connections in a network, and you're in the inner city in a broken family, it could be extraordinarily difficult to find care or even think about it, identify it, all of these things. So then the opportunity gap gets greater and greater and the problem compounds. So here we go. We're, we're going to the new model, the potential. The reason the two individuals are in front of me, Vanessa and Justin, is they've been a pioneer through philanthropy, through the help, God bless, of Children's Hospital that does wonderful things for our community to create a new different model that is just a seed today We'll talk about what it is today, and then we'll talk about the group that we put together, Vanessa, to hopefully help it grow into something much, much bigger that creates a new standard for care. So why don't you tell them about Whole Child and what it's doing and how it's changing uh, care for mental health. So as I mentioned, my daughter is managing five different diagnoses. While trying to get her the help that she needed so that she could return to childhood, I encountered a lot of amazing doctors and resources in Pittsburgh. Now, they were all siloed, but they were all wonderful. Um, I knew that there had to be a better way to provide care to kids like my daughter. Um, so through some of these wonderful doctors and administrators at UPMC and at Western Psych, and through my position at Children's Hospital Foundation, I was able to start um, working and brainstorming with these doctors. It was a three to five year process, um, just trying to figure out what something like this would look like because it doesn't exist. It, it, this is the first of its kind in the country. So we are uniquely situated in Pittsburgh because we have the resources that we have with Children's Hospital and Western Psych to really have this, this pioneered um, new approach to care. And I am amazed every day at the work that Justin and his team does. So I think he should speak to the day-to-day -day operations, but it's truly amazing. Yeah, it, it's been really a, a joy to be able to work on. And and I think also, you know, really emphasizing the point of having Vanessa's partnership with it, because really 
not being being able to create something that's with parent input means so much because I, you know, I I can speak a lot to the the experience in education um, and the professional growth area, but not necessarily to what it's like to have gone through that role. And so I think getting that input has helped us to really grow to where we are. And so right now, what that looks like is we really try to uh, to focus for kids that have had trouble with really finding a landing spot. Like you mentioned before, Pittsburgh has a ton of services, which is great within behavioral health. Um, and at the same time, for especially kids in that three to 12 range, those younger kids that maybe don't have the adolescent services that oftentimes we've had set up or haven't, or maybe are past the early intervention services that exist. And at the same time are really struggling when it comes to figuring out what's going on. We know that there's difficulties at school. We know there's difficulties at home, but we can't pinpoint this on one direct thing going on. Um, a place where they can go where there's both the therapeutic support, physical health, um, identification of if there's need for medication management, help with family support and care coordination, all really putting that together so that a family can come in, get an evaluation and have an understanding of what's going on from day one, and then really focus on a treatment plan that looks to really bring together the skill set of the people who are there, focusing on how do we move towards getting help. And so uh, really bringing in a, a diverse group of, of people who have skill sets that really can fit for this group of kids um, and help them move forward so that we're limiting the amount of time that's required to come to appointments and also limiting that re-traumatization of having to tell your story over and over again. And also knowing, hey, we're moving towards getting things better from day one. And this is the plan that we're going to do all together. And we're going to keep working with you on that. And this is your, really your we talk about a medical home idea for the physical health, but really saying that that needs to include both our, our mental health as well. So the combination of really everything together in that one spot. So you're, so you're like, you're like so humble. You just said so much there that I don't want to lose any of it. So child six years old struggling comes to one spot called whole child. You guys diagnose, you create a plan forward you bring all of the expertise that Pittsburgh has to offer to one place to give them hope that they actually have a treatment plan going forward. And an important part of that is the family care navigator. So there's there's an individual who has lived experience who can help the parents through this. So while the, the doctors, psychiatrists, physicians can address the mental health and physical health needs of the child, there's still an entire family out there that needs help. And this individual um, is able to help the family navigate the system and, and just be a shoulder to lean on when you need it. And I, it's important to, to um, mention that that position is not reimbursable. So that ex position only exists through philanthropy. And it's a key part of what sets whole child apart. So would so would you be able to have whole child without philanthropy, uh, even greater than that one position? Would you be able to have whole child? No. Philanthropy is essential for the creation of whole child. And part of that is because it's a completely new care model. And through this pilot, we will be able to show that not only do we provide better care, it's more cost effective as well. So we can then go to the insurance companies and say, when you have all in one-stop shopping care for these kids, when you can take care of their physical and mental health all in one place, kids want to come, parents are able to get them there, the care is better, and it's more cost effective. And so how many, how many children can you 
serve currently? So we are in the we're finishing up a prototype phase. And so part of what we wanted to determine is what are the most important services for families to have there? And so we're, as I said, this is trying to really create a, a unique model. And so that means getting a good understanding of who are the kids that are needing the most help? What are the family supports that people need? And um, and how do we really identify those kids to make sure that they can come and we can get them that support? So we started off with um, with primarily being in our primary care clinic, which is um, our main academic clinic related to children's in Oakland, and have started to grow to a few CCP practices. And the intention of that is until July. And then after July, we're really planning to expand more beyond that so we can really bring in a lot more kids. And we identified working with, um, you know, within the clinic itself, about 50 kids to start with. We've seen much more than that to try to really help get plugged into services, even if they haven't stayed um, with us for the full time, at least getting them to a point where, you know, they can continue to do really well and get a good evaluation done. But we really intend to increase that to at least 250, 250 kids moving beyond that. So, um we're looking forward to in the next few months really opening up quite a bit more. So less stressful for the family, more cost effective, right? Um, and better outcomes and better care. That's remarkable. So I, I was amazed when I heard about this. I thought it was wonderful. And so I, I actually contacted Vanessa and said like, hey, we should get together. I understand you're interested in mental health. I'm interested in mental health. What can we do? And uh, I think that's the last thing I did and Vanessa ran with it, which was awesome. <laughs> She's like, Hey, here we go. So, so we're, we're sort of thinking about phase two and Vanessa, do you want to talk about like, cause this is just the seed that is, that is incredible model. And, um, but by the way, we do need help on the reimbursements. We need more philanthropy without God bless children's, you know, right. Children's hospital. When you look at philanthropy at children's, it's sort of interesting. They do remarkable things, have remarkable physicians and yes, they get a lot of reimbursements, but it's not children's hospital without philanthropy. It's a great hospital. It's not children's without philanthropy. Like what makes children comfortable there, which, what makes it less stressful, um, what, what helps with research, it is philanthropy. So now we need to bring that same attitude of philanthropy to mental health. So, so the first phase is whole child that you guys have pioneered, which is awesome. And Vanessa, why don't you just talk about some of the things we're thinking about going forward on how we can maybe leverage up and take the whole child model and make it scalable. Well, there are lots of um, opportunities. As we said, there's so much need so where there is need and where there are people like you, Greg, who are willing to step up and help, there's really an opportunity for a lot to be done. So um, right now, there's a group of individuals who are interested in trying to help increase access um, to services by making the Children's Hospital app, which is a great app, um, more inclusive of mental health. Another victory that I personally would see would be fully funding Whole Child. We are about $200,000 short of our goal there. And once that pilot is fully funded and Justin and his team can continue to do the great work that they're doing, they're, they're already getting a lot of attention from other areas who see the work that they're doing, see how effective it is, and would really like to take that model and expand it. So if you're listening... The whole child needs $200,000 to be fully funded. And if you're like, wow, that really sounds interesting, where can I put money that's going to make a huge impact 
on children and families dealing with mental health issues, this is like caffeine straight to the veins. I mean, it's going to go there and it's going to benefit children and it's going to benefit children immediately. And not only is it going to benefit children today, it's going to start a positive virus of how to help people going forward. So, you know, I, I can't, I would, I would like to think the people listening could help close the gap on that $200,000. That was an ask. <laughs> and it's whatever. It's easy to do if you go to the Children's <laughs> Hospital of Pittsburgh Foundation website or give to children's.org. You can easily give to Whole Child or or any of the other wonderful programs that the foundation is helping to support. So here's other things we talked talked about that you know you're not going to see this in the next 12 months, but it, it it is frustrating trying to get into a physician, a psychiatrist, right? It, it's see in two months or whatever the case may be. Yet and Justin, you may tell me these numbers are wrong. I heard like a big percentage of appointments that are made are actually canceled because the patient doesn't want to come in. Is that true? First, the, the premise of that? You know, I think it is dependent um, specifically within different clinics, too, that we see that. We do see a, a high rate that of, of cancellations in, in certain specific clinics. I've noticed that more so. Um, I know within, you know, that's one thing we've actually really worked on a lot within Whole Child is how do we identify what leads to those cancellations right. if that's to happen? And and so part of it is, you know, one could be the stigmatization. One could be also just the, you know, now there's a lot more going on that is with my job or with school that I feel like I have to take care of at the moment. And so it's hard to get over there. So how do we kind of help families to to really understand what it is they need right. that gets them into that door? Because right. I find more often that that's a lot of times that that, that combination of the two, the stigmatization and the just prioritization. Yeah. So clearly the, the one answer is just to get the cancellations down. You're right. But then when there is a cancellation and there's a brilliant psychiatrist at two o'clock this afternoon that just had a cancellation and there's someone in, you know, wherever, in wherever, whatever little town in Pittsburgh that, that needs help, you would just like to think that somewhere there's a clearinghouse that could match those two up to have a telemedicine conversation where they could at least help, right? And, you, and so it's more like Uber than taxi where you're saying, okay, here's the need, here's the person, let's connect them. So ideally, if there could be that type of clearinghouse, it would be awesome also. I would bet almost everybody listening to this can think of someone that has a mental health issue. And, and I see, you know, golf outings for, for a lot of causes, but so many people, you, you should have more, there should be more philanthropy for mental health. So children's has given us the seed to get it started, but, um, there's a lot more work. Well, to be done. And the more people like you are willing to talk about it, the more people talk about their personal experiences, talk about the hope that is out there, the, the easier it's going to be for more people to step forward and help reduce stigma. So I applaud um, how open you are and how, how great you've been about bringing people together and, and giving us an opportunity today to talk about this. Well, well you two have been the pioneers. And, I, and not only should what, what the listeners be, be hearing, there's help on the way and you know, families and there's help on the way. But hopefully someone listening that is suffering from a mental health issue knows that you're not alone. And there's a lot of po people that care about you. And we're going to work as hard as we can to make sure we make a difference. So you do have brighter days ahead. And there's a lot of smart people working on it. So Justin, I, I, I heard Vanessa say in the past, you have some superstars working with you. And I think that's right. It, this is about talent. So I think that the fact that Pittsburgh and then you specifically have put together an incredible team should give people a lot of confidence that there's help 
at whole child. Just give us a, you know, a quick overview of like some of the team and, and where they come from and what their expertise is. We really lucked out. Um, you know, I think when you're starting something new, you, you need a good group and that's what we've got. So we've, we have, um, Dr. Chelsea grief. She's a psychologist, um, who had, has been working at children's, uh, prior to coming over to whole child wellness clinic. And, and she has a lot of experience working with and identifying trauma. And so oftentimes that's a missed piece of what's going on for a lot of kids. So has that experience along with working with kids with various physical health conditions as well. Um, and so has a, a really good diversity of understanding of the combination of those two parts. And then um, Nafisa Wynn, who is our family support partner, has um, had her own experience of having her son who has dealt with multiple different physical health needs, multiple surgeries, um, and also struggling with ADHD, with difficulties within schools, has really, I mean, when she talks through the amount of work she's gone through to really get her son to a great place um, and, and, you know, really connecting with various different parts of the system to be able to do that, she has always been a huge help to navigate with our families. It's a lot of times her and I are in the room together and I'll just kind of sit back and let her take the lead because she does such a nice job of really communicating with families. Um, and then Abby Meisels, who is our nurse coordinator, um, and in this really unique role of she plays wearing multiple hats being a nurse, um, where she will get blood draws and she'll do the vitals. And at the same time, she's handling calls for most of our families and helping them do care coordination to get them where they need to go. And on top of that, um, we, she was able to get a grant to get within our office multiple different sensory devices, mm -hmm. like, such as a Vecta, to make sure that kids coming in with sensory needs had a really good place where they could get that support there. So really people who've taken on, really willing to do anything to help these families, which is really impressive. And we're growing, so we actually have a few more people who are going to be starting within the next month uh, to two months that we're really excited about as well. Success happens when you get the right people on the bus, right? So, so whole child, you come to that one spot and you have all of that expertise communicate and coordinate and collaborating on one. It's incredible. So congratulations on that. And, and, and part of the, the good news is it's a, it's a new venture um, that's taken a lot of time, but it's, it's launched. And so the, the challenge with that is it's not like there's a website or there's a commercial, you know, at the Super Bowl that you're like, oh, that's how you donate the whole child. So, so if you do want to donate, you know, you, I'll give you two things you could do. Either A, um, you can go on the Children's Hospital app, right, Vanessa? And then you can find it there. Or you can go to the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh Foundation website, and you can find it um, on the foundation website. So you can do that. Or if, you know, we want to make it easy. So if you want to call our office, I'll get you in the right, hold of the right person, in touch with the right person. Um, we can do it that way also. So call our offices and ask for me. We'll, we'll make sure you get in the right hands. Or you can go on the uh, Children's Hospital Foundation uh, website and find it there either way. So... Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other subject matters that may be of interest to you, please check us out at confluencefp.com slash podcasts.